This podcast is brought to you by She Society, sharing the perspectives and stories of women Australia-wide. Welcome to a special edition podcast. I'm Loretta Ryan, and today we'll be speaking about domestic and family violence, how we can recognise the signs and what we can do to be effective bystanders. We'll also have a look at the Alison Baden Clay Foundation's current Strive to Be Kind campaign, which focuses on how we all have a voice and that we should be using this voice to spread kindness. With one in four women having experienced emotional or verbal abuse from a current or former partner, it is evident that domestic and family violence is not just physical. Joining me today, Vanessa Fowler, who is the director of the Alison Baden Clay Foundation and Alison Baden Clay's sister. We also have Anushka Dowling from Griffith University's Mate Bystander Program. Hello, ladies. Hello. Vanessa, firstly to you, I mean, your continued passion to keep Alison's legacy alive. Is it hard to keep that going? Is it hard for you to keep talking about what happened to her? Obviously, it is extremely difficult. Um, Our family just continues to move forward. Uh, Obviously, we have Alison's three children that we're caring for. So they certainly give us the motivation to keep moving forward. And I know that my parents in the beginning wanted really... Alison's death to make a difference to others and they certainly don't want um, any other family to be going through the same agony that they went through. Uh, Obviously we continue to grieve um, you know at different points throughout the year there are certain dates that are very very special and relevant to us Uh, and so we cope with those and then you know, we look into the the eyes and the faces of Alison's three girls and we just know that the foundation is going to make a difference for other families and that and that children like our three girls um, will should not be impacted. Will the three girls be involved in the in the foundation as they get older and more involved in it? Yes, I'm sure that they will be. Uh, certainly, the eldest has already expressed interest in. Uh, coming on board and being an ambassador and and actually um, speaking about the issues. Uh, I'm not sure that um, she would express uh, her own personal uh, experiences just yet, but I'm sure that once she's ready, she will become a voice for our foundation. And what have other people said to you, people, members of the public through the foundation? Have they come up to you and expressed similar feelings that you of a family have had, uh, something that's happened to them in their family? Yes, we've had many, many uh, experiences where people have come forward and said that just from hearing Alison's story, uh, hearing the grief and the sadness that's come from my parents and the way that they have expressed their agony in her death, that they that, that has changed their lives. And we already know that that Alison's story has changed lives and that women have left their relationships after hearing what happened to Alison because they've just taken a good look at themselves and said, that's me. I really do need to stand up and be brave enough to, to get out. Were you surprised by the fact that obviously Alison was living the way she was, possibly in fear? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, you know, they... They always say that, you know, domestic violence is not always physical and we never saw anything physical 
such as a black eye or a broken limb. Um, but we were very surprised when we heard all of the information, the evidence that came out at the trial, that uh, she was uh, diminished from the amazing mother, the corporate um, businesswoman that she was, and we couldn't see that in her. But behind the scenes, she was weathered down and just... um, broken down to to a shell of a person, obviously, by the time that he took her life. Mm. It was 2012 when Mm. Alison died at the hands of her husband. Leading up to that, though, I mean, you said you didn't really see the signs and you were surprised. Mm. Was there anything at all as a sister being close to Alison that you did notice? I think the main thing that we noticed was the isolation in that uh, he had um, blocked our phone numbers from their phones so that Alison couldn't call us and uh, she wasn't attending any of her um, usual friendship group functions, Uh, usually the flight centre or the old flight centre girls got together and um, once a month or whenever they could and, and had coffee you know, even our um, school, uh, as an old girl, the Ipswich Girls Grammar School, you know, we have an annual dinner and, um, you know, she never attended those because, I, you know, she even said, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm too fat or, uh, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, it was just, I guess, the the emotional and mental abuse that he was putting into her brain just changed her completely and uh, and of course um, that was the main thing that was I guess very recognizable and then after the trial you know we know that now that there was uh, financial abuse and uh, and technological abuse because he was monitoring her texts and phone calls that she was making and and you didn't never sit down with um, Alison and had coffee with her and and she didn't open up about anything to you you know, we, we had coffee or, you know, grab some dinner on occasion. Uh, and I had a sense that she wanted to chat, but she never actually came out and, and broached the subject. You know, she was always asking how I was and how my family was and how my boys are going, but she never ever delved into her own life and her and I admittedly didn't ask either. I, you know, you say, well, how are the girls going? And the answer is always they're doing fine. So, and, the, and they were. The girls were given every opportunity uh, as any other mother would want to give their children and that, you know, they were going to dancing classes and violin lessons. And, uh, you know, from an outsider's point of view or a bystander's point of view, Things were fine at home. Mm. And that gets us to the Mate Bystander Program, which really is a message for all of us to take notice and to ask questions. And we also have with us Anushka Dowling from Griffith University's Mate Bystander Program. Anushka, tell us a little bit more about this program. Where did it all come from? Thank you. Um, So the program is uh, based on an American program called Mentors in Violence Prevention, Um, Mentors in Violence Prevention is over 20 years old now. Um, It was developed by a man named Jackson Katz. Um, Jackson was working at a university in America and realised that there was an issue with the way that women were portrayed in society, the way that we uh, use our use of language around women and 
particularly women who have been victims of violence. So he developed a program that is now one of the longest um, running gender-based violence and bystander programs in America. It's very successful. It's run across um, the American military and um, many colleges and sporting organisations. Um, he, One of his consultants, Dr Shannon Spriggs Murdoch, boarded over from America to Australia about eight years ago now and Griffith University um, picked it up. Um, more specifically, our Pro-Vice-Chancellor, Professor Paul Maserell, picked it up as part of the Violence Prevention and Research Program at Griffith University. Um, it, at that time, was still owned by the university in America, so it was you know, on American culture and American language. So uh, about two years ago, Griffith University, with the consent of doc Dr Jackson Katz, rewrote the program um, to make it more suitable to the Australian culture. It was then renamed MATE and now Griffith University own it wholly and solely and we run it around um, in universities and organisations, both private and public uh, agencies around Australia. What was the incident that sparked it? I don't know that there was a specific incident. I think it was just a culmination of many um, incidents of violence in America and the way that the media were reporting on that. Um, Dr. Jackson Katz has a fantastic TED talk that explains um, the issues that go into that and the way that we lost the perpetrator when we were talking about violence. We talk about um, a woman being a battered woman. We don't talk about that she was battered by a man or by, battered by her partner. Um, and we started to lose the perpetrator in that conversation and really focusing on the victim where a lot of the victim blaming and shaming came from. And we were losing... Um, the way that this came about and the way that there's a culture around um, violence that perpetuates the issue that we are losing in our general language in the way the, the things that we see in our media and the news headlines and other issues that are just taking away from the main point mm. of violence. The mate bystander program, the main message, I guess, of it is for us all to, if we see something if we're worried about the way someone's being treated, to stand up and, and talk about it. Is that something that's that's not happening? Yeah, on, on the most part, yeah, that, that's something that we find, I think, as humans, really difficult. It's really difficult to find that courage to ask the question, um, is everything okay? Because I think, particularly as family members, we're probably a little bit afraid of what the answer will be. Um, so having that courage to go there when we think there might be an issue, that's really hard for people, I think. Um, it's really hard for people because they want to know how to fix it. They want to have all the answers and we don't have all the answers. Sometimes we may never have all of the answers. It's just a matter of going there and asking the question and offering that support, um, which I think for a lot of people is still really difficult. Vanessa, would you say you were fearful of what you might hear if you asked a question? Yes, uh, we often asked Alison if everything was all right and um, she would say yes, but um, we kind of knew from a little bit toward the end from her um, body language and her actions that things may not have been uh, as they should be. So we were fearful of the answers that we might get, um, but we were also, my parents in particular, were fearful that if they did intervene, that there would be consequences for Alison and that they would make it worse. Because obviously they're from a generation uh, that 
we're, we're told and they have the mindset that, uh, you know, you mind your own business. And what happens in a marriage or behind closed doors is a personal matter and you don't get involved. So their fear was that they would only make it worse for Alison and they didn't want to do that. Mm. Worse in what way? Worse in physical or emotional abuse continuing even, you know, uh, more so? Yes, yes. Well, fearful of that and that, you know, we never would have imagined that he would have taken that next step Um, and you don't even think of that as a human being that they would do something like that. But, um, you know, I think the fear for us to a point was there would be more physical abuse, there would be more, you know, would he take it out on the children? What would he do if we did step in and say, right, we're taking Alison and the children and they're coming with us? Um, and, of course, she she was also probably fearful as well because uh, if she did stand up and walk away, uh, she loved those children so much that she would was fearful that she would lose those children um, to him. Yeah, she wanted to keep the family together, yes. which is often the case, isn't yes. it? I'm talking to Vanessa Fowler, the director of the Alison Baden-Clay Foundation and Alison Baden-Clay's sister, also Anushka Dowling from Griffith University's Mate Bystander Program. Anushka, in cases like that, you hear a scream, you don't know what to do. Maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something. What should we do if we do hear a scream at night? In that particular case, we, we would always say call the police. Call police or police link, whatever it may be, whatever you're comfortable doing, just to report that. And it may be nothing. It it may be something. And in this case, it was something. And if the police had had that that report, that they'd heard screaming in that area, then things may have been a lot different post um, the day that Alison went missing. The investigation would have could have taken a completely different turn. Um, So those are the things we absolutely are encouraging people to do is call the police. And, And I understand that in that case, those neighbours were thinking, oh, we're not quite sure, we don't know if we heard what we heard and is it serious enough? And that's really the way that we give ourselves the green, you know, the green light or a free pass to not do anything. But I think you can't lose in that case just by calling the police and the police may say, that's great information or the police may not, but you've still done what you can do in that moment as a bystander um, and you don't know what impact that you could be making by doing that. So... Part of the Mate Bystander Program is that would have to be the number one thing, wouldn't it, to call police? Absolutely. If people feel that that's the most appropriate thing to do for them, if that's all you can do in the moment, if there's things that are standing in your way like fear or fear of your physical safety or fear of the safety of others around you, calling the police absolutely is a safe and appropriate thing that you can do. What other things for a bystander? What else should they know? In situations where it may be overt signs of violence, we always suggest calling the police is the number one sign, is is the number one option that you can take if you're fearful for your safety. Um, but also being aware of the environment around you. Is there other people that you can ask to help with you? Is there other people that you can report it to in the area or the establishment that you're in? Um, in less overt signs of violence when you're kind of wondering like Vanessa was in conversations just asking like Vanessa did are you okay really shows the victim or the perpetrator that you're there to offer offer support and that you're there for support if they ever need it and I think 
that is a really good thing to do and it's a really effective thing to do. It's really effective for the victim to know that there's somebody there to support them. We really need to be encouraging those messages of support and as bystanders understanding that those messages aren't um, conditional on what that person then does and they also don't expire so that uh, they don't expire after a certain date if they don't come back to you for help in that time. And that's a really number one message we want to get out to bystanders is offering that message of support and not attaching any judgment or conditions to it. Yeah, because as Vanessa said, there is a fine line, isn't there, between intruding and doing something to help a person. Is that what you would teach someone as well? Absolutely. So I guess what we want to get out there is the education about what domestic violence looks like, the non-physical signs. Um, And in Vanessa and her family's case, it they didn't know what they didn't know then. So um, being able to ask that further question after Alison said, yes, everything's okay, being able to, able to ask that further question and saying, well, I've seen a couple of things that I find a little bit concerning is everything, you know, how do you feel about that? Um, how do you feel about um, the fact that we don't see you as often or um, we find it really hard to contact you? Is everything okay? Is there something that we can do there? Just that further question that may prompt that person to go deeper into a conversation. Um, But even if they don't, then you've parked that message of support there and they know that you're there to help them in a non-judgmental way. Mm. There's something called a power and control wheel when it relates to domestic violence. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so the power and control wheel was developed by an organisation in America called the the Duluth Organisation. And the power and control dynamic that sits behind an abusive relationship is really what sets uh, domestic violence apart from just an unhealthy relationship. So we really need to, as bystanders, get comfortable in understanding what um, where the line is between what's an unhealthy relationship and what's an abusive relationship. And that power and control dynamic is the main sign that we're crossing over into abuse here. Um, It's when one person has the power and control over another and the other person is completely disempowered. Um, So understanding that wheel and the things that are noted in that wheel is a really great tool for people to know as bystanders, for them to be able to understand the signs that they may see um, from both a victim and a perpetrator who who may be experiencing those. And Vanessa, have you read that power control wheel and and applied it to Alison's case? Yes. uh, We hadn't seen it prior to... Uh, meeting with the Griffith University staff and Anushka. Uh, Anushka presented it to my parents and I and everything that was on the wheel pertained to Alison's life and we could fit Alison's story exactly into every segment on the wheel. So, for example? For example, um, using the children... um, as a threat to her. Uh, If she left, I'll take the children, Um, the financial control, the isolation, the the beating down of her self-esteem, the lowering of her self-esteem. And we got that information from the journal that she left, you know, beside her bed. Um, So yes, each of those things um, were highlighted in that power and control wheel. It's very a very powerful thing. Another thing, I guess, as bystanders that we could do is sort of somehow subtly 
give the the person that we think is a victim an yeah. idea that there are other ways to to help themselves that there are support yes. services out there yeah. we yeah. need to get education out there around the support services that are available um women bystanders everybody kind of thinks that once a support service like DV Connect or um, another domestic violence service is contacted that that is the culmination that's the thing that's going to end the marriage and police are going to show up and it's going to be a it's going to be a an a scene and that's actually not the case if people contact um, these if people feel confident to contact these services then people will be able to help them in a confidential um, way to help keep them safe to give them some tools and some resources to stay in the marriage if leaving is too difficult or there are things like uh, like financial control or children involved that make it really hard to leave mm. it's leave about the marriage. it's about education isn't it and I suppose in some cases though women might not know that that's happening to them straight away they they might be getting that emotional abuse and they they might be getting the financial constraints but they don't often know that it's domestic violence. So I guess we have to tell women, if you're feeling uneasy, like you said, Vanessa, you're feeling inside yourself that this is wrong, just make a phone call and just ask a question. You know, this is happening to me. And I suppose that's where those services do help. Absolutely. They will help having that conversation and also the power and control wheel in just reading some of the behaviours that constitute an abusive relationship will be really for some people enlightening for them to say, wow, this is what I've experienced isn't healthy and there are there are services out there that can help me. Vanessa, yeah. we talked a little bit about Alison's girls. Are you concerned about them as young women and what their future will be like or are you confident that we are changing things in, in society now in regards to domestic violence? I believe that uh, we are changing things because we're having the conversation and um, it's not just an issue here in Queensland, it's also, it's also a national issue and it's a national conversation that we should be having. And I think that um, Alison's three girls are aware of the work that we're doing. They're proud of the work that we're doing. Uh, I know that even in their own school, there's been a lot more conversation around family and domestic violence. And I think that they certainly, we're bringing them up to be very brave, be very confident and be a very strong woman in their own bodies, in their own minds. So I think that um, the work that we're doing will empower them to be strong, successful women. Tell me a little bit more about the Alison Baden Clay Foundation uh, when you set it up and, and how you managed to get the strength to do that. Uh, it all came actually um, throughout the trial. We had um, many people come to us and say, you know, I didn't know Alison, but um, we really need to do something that's going to continue her legacy and get her story out there. And um, I know that my parents certainly have always, throughout their whole life, always tried to help others. And so and so did Alison. And so they wanted to continue that. And they felt that the best way to do that was to form a foundation and to, to educate um, the community around 
the situations that that people find themselves in. And so we we wanted to be on the proactive side of the family and domestic violence. There's there's lots of organisations that are doing great things, you know, for the victims after the event. Um, but we certainly feel that following out of uh, Quentin Bryce's uh, Not Now, Not Ever report, a lot of those recommendations were all around education. So we felt that that was a space that we wanted to to be part of. And so our partnership um, with Griffith University um, goes along with our objectives. And, and I think that another thing that my parents wanted was Alison's name be remembered in a positive way rather than a victim. Um, you know, and we, we've been told Alison wasn't a victim. She was a strong woman who was trying to hold her marriage together. Um, and who would have thought that a, this perpetrator would have, you know, gone that extra step and actually murdered her. But, um, yeah, it's just one thing that we want to ensure that, that Alison's legacy is a positive one. We have a lot of women voices um, in this cause, but there are some very there are some great men out there as well who want to share their voices. So, have you noticed men coming forward wanting to support the foundation and give their voice to help women as well? Yes, very much so. Uh, especially uh, those in the sporting field and and even in the corporate area, uh, we've had a lot of successful men wanting to come forward and and uh, and be ambassadors, uh, you know, support us in whatever way that they can. I think that our family was surprised at how Alison's story was such a high-profile one. Uh, and I guess because she was the girl next door living in Brookfield, which was quite an affluent area of Brisbane. And, uh, you know, it really brought it home to the community that it can happen to anyone. I think that family and domestic violence is sometimes linked to low socioeconomic areas and families. Uh, however, Alison, you know, was that middle to upper class, you know, working class uh, area and and people could relate to that. You know, it could be you or me or the neighbour next door and, and uh, I think people related to that. So Alison's story really took on a high profile position and that's when a lot of people took notice and that's, you know, they started to come forward and support the foundation even those detectives that were working on the case were very much supportive of us starting a foundation and, and were backing us all the way. Mm. It, which it's great to have that support mm. and that continued support for a long time. Anushka, with the Mate Bystander Program, when did you decide to join up with the foundation? So we went, met with the foundation uh, about six or eight months ago now. Um, we had a really good discussion about where they wanted to head with the with the foundation and the aims of the foundation, um, <clears throat> and we explained what we do at the at, at Griffith University with the Mate Bystander Program, and they were really interested. Um, and then we just continued conversations about how we could join in partnership to continue to provide the education to the public on how we can turn the turn the story around and change the statistics and and prevent domestic and family violence. Well, that's one of the main issues, isn't it? The primary prevention. How mm -hmm. do we do that? What's the first step for all of us? So the program specifically, we have the short term aim is to um, provide people with the tools to be able to interrupt the violence that they're seeing or the potential violence that they're seeing. Um, the long term aim is to change um, culture and societal norms and um, 
and the things that in our society and our culture that uphold these gender-based violence and gender inequality and how, how we get there, um, that's the long-term view of the program and we, are, we provide examples of that in the program of how society helps to support this uh, culture of violence and gender-based violence and how we can all change that in our day-to-day lives. And you're a young, young woman. Um, how do you feel about your own safety. We've heard a lot about this in the news, a young woman uh, getting older, you know, throughout the, the generations. I mean, how do you feel? Yeah, so just recently with um, some of the high-profile cases in, in Australia, we've had re- there's some really um, robust conversation around how we as young women and as women in Australia have really had education around how to keep ourselves safe um, and we really need to change that conversation and have the conversation around how we create a culture where violence isn't the norm um, and we can create we create a culture where everybody's equal, the genders are equal and that we think is where we can make the most change. Um, it's a really sad state that we do as women have to worry about these things when we go out late at night or when we go out at certain times of the day in certain places um, and that's to me I have a I have an 18 month old daughter and to me it's not good enough I want to make sure that in 18 years time she's not walking down the street with her keys in between her fingers to keep herself safe I want um, I want her to feel safe and I want that to actually be the reality so that's what we're all working towards and you'd feel the same Vanessa with uh, Alison's three young girls yes certainly you know um, and I myself have two boys so you know my job uh, with my boys is to certainly educate them to respect women and to treat them, you know, with um, care and kindness. And, uh, you know, I think our mindset, you know, when we were growing up was, you know, you you say things like, oh, you know, and I've even said it to my boys, you know, don't cry like a girl. And I think things like that are just uh, the start or we plant the seed when they're young you know, get up, you're all right, you know, don't cry like a girl. But, uh, you know, especially my boys, you know, I'm I'm trying to teach them that, that when they are old enough, you know, that they need to definitely um, hold a woman in, in high esteem. And, you know, as I said previously, we certainly are empowering our three, Alison's three girls uh, to be strong women and to use their voice in all in all areas of their life. Anushka, how can we find out more? How can listeners find out more about the Mate Bystander Program? So they can go to our website. We have a website, Griffith University-based um, website with the Mate Bystander Program, or we have a Mate Bystander Program Facebook and Instagram page that we post some uh, up-to-date information about things going on in our society. Um, and we can be contacted through any of those mediums about how people can get involved, what the program is that we offer and how it may suit them, how we can tailor it to them also. And Vanessa, July is a very important month for your family, for the Alison Baden Clay Foundation. Tell me about uh, the month of July and why it's important. Uh, The month of July was chosen uh, for our Strive to Be Kind campaign because it's the month of Alison's birthday and uh, we started the Strive to Be Kind Day back in 2012 a group of her friends got together and really felt passionate about everybody remembering and celebrating Alison's life and the amazing person that she was. 
And we've just continued from there and it's gone from strength to strength. Uh, this year we have focused on we, that we all have a voice and from my perspective, you know, we, could, we certainly need to use that voice to share a kind word with others but we also need to listen to our inner voice. Uh, we all have an inner voice that we, you know, my parents and I were listening to when, when uh, you know, we were speaking to Alison and, you know, when she th- said that everything was okay and we just knew deep down inside that, that things weren't really quite right and, uh, you know, we, we listen to our inner voice, but then we also need to have the strength and the courage to use our voice to speak as a bystander, speak to the person that we fear is at risk and, uh, you know, let them know, as Anushka said, let them know that they are supported and then hopefully give them added, added support with their voice, to use their voice to, to get up and walk away. So Anushka, the whole um, aim of the Mate Bystander program into the future, you'll continue to collaborate with the Alison Baden Clay Foundation? We will continue to collaborate with the foundation. Um, the Alison Baden Clay specific information that will be available through the program is, um, is really going through those signs that people would be able to see. Um, it's going through Alison's story and her experience and how we as bystanders would be able to recognise the signs. What things would Alison have been saying? Um, how would her behaviour have changed? Um, also the side of the perpetrator. What behaviour we see from that side, um, the controlling, the jealousy, uh, and allow us to figure out how to have conversations based on what we're seeing once we know what that is, um, and giving everyone the tools to have those conversations in an inappropriate and safe way. So we also really need people to understand that it's never the bystander's fault. Um, We want to promote the message that domestic and family violence is preventable, and we as a society have the responsibility to change the statistics. But at the end of the day, um, a bystander is never at fault for something that is happening to somebody else. It's a good message and uh, hopefully one that we'll all listen to and maybe save a life one day as well. Yes. Um, Vanessa Fowler from the Alison Baden Clay Foundation and Anushka Dowling from Griffith University's Mate Bystander Program. Thank you so much for talking today. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks, Loretta. Thank you again for listening to this special edition podcast about domestic and family violence. If you do think that someone or yourself is in danger, please ring the support services lines 1800 RESPECT, that's 1800 737 732, and Lifeline 13 11 14. This podcast is brought to you by She Society.